0: All right, Uh, we are diving into our Easter message. Redverse, welcome to the service. Everyone who's just tuning in online, welcome. Um, It's Easter Sunday, and I got to say, I made a comment earlier. I'm going to rehash the comment. I was hoping for a little more energy in the house this morning. I know everyone online, you guys are just excited and bursting at the seams. I can feel it through the camera, but, like, in-house, like, Thank you, Shauna. I feel like I wanted to find the clip. You know the Minions? er, er, Who's all seen the Minion movie where they're like playing soccer and they're like, eh? You know, that's how that felt. Got a little force. Like, eh? Eh? Anyways. Um, yeah, the chocolate. Yeah, that's, that's the problem. Um, So hopefully, my hope is by the time we're done this morning, I have inspired a little more excitement because this is a big Sunday, not just because the pastor stands up and says it's a big Sunday, but because this is huge for us, this is big for our faith, and without this, it actually robs us of a massive piece of our hope that we have in Jesus, and so we should be excited. We should be excited of everything that Jesus' resurrection represents. And so uh, we're going to unpack the story a little bit. We're in Luke 24. If you got your physical Bible you want to follow along, it will be on the screen. It is on the app, so you can follow along there too. Uh, quick recap to get us up to where the story is. Good Friday, we looked at Luke 23, and we saw... Jesus encounter a lot of different people and I invited you to maybe connect with one or two of the groups as They were having their own wrestle. They're having their own struggle and the reminder that it didn't matter where you're coming from What your perspective was or what your experience has been? Uh, the good news of the cross is for everybody that it is not withheld from anyone And every one of those groups experienced life change, experienced new, the newness found in Christ and Christ alone. And the good news is that we can experience that same newness, that same forgiveness release from the bondage of sin that so easily entangles because of the Good Friday. But then we get to Easter. And what has happened between what we talked about Friday and now is Jesus has been taken off the cross. He's been buried Um, In a brand new tomb a stone has been rolled in front of the tomb and that's pretty typical Practice at the time Uh, Matthew tells us though that the Pharisees took it a step further They put a seal on it so that it was not easily Opened just in case those sneaky disciples tried to sneak in and steal the body and say look he's alive Um, So this is where we pick up the story so Luke 24 starting in verse 1 It says, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. And the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone? who is alive he isn't here he is risen from the dead remember what he told you back in Galilee that the Son of Man must be betrayed in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day then they remembered that he had said this so they rushed back from the tomb to tell his eleven disciples and everyone else what had happened It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened, but the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping in, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. This is an important part of the story. And Luke is very intentional to set up what is going on here. So the Sunday has come. The women are doing what the women do. They go to the tomb, and they're going to dress the body, prepare it for burial. They have their spices ready. They have something they're going to do. And they show up, and the stone is rolled away. Matthew says that the Roman soldiers that were guarding are all knocked out, like coming to, like, what just happened? Matthew says there's two or one angel, Luke says there were two, but this message is the same: Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you here? He told you that he was going to come back to life, so why why did you come? And the women remember, and they race back and it's important what Luke is doing here. He's not just saying that a couple of the ladies come because remember we're talking in a day where the, the, account of a, the witness of a woman didn't really have a whole lot of weight, right? So if there's only a couple, then it, you know, the disciples would be quick to dismiss it. There's a lot of ladies here. And Luke goes out of his way to name a few and say, and there's even more. There's a solid account. And one of the things that he's trying to communicate is that this really happened. And there's witnesses and there's names and there's people that you can go talk to and, and you, can, you can look into this. The scriptures tell us that Jesus appeared to over 50 people in his time of walking around, engaging with people. Like he was fifty, five hundred, a lot. There's a lot of people who saw him alive. And there's a good, like it's not something that was made up. It's not mythical. It's not like the apostles went and beat up the Romans, That would, it's fishermen versus trained professional soldiers. That didn't happen. He's setting the account. This is an actual event. Jesus really did come back to life. But because of the weight that a woman's voice had back then, even though there's a lot of ladies saying the same thing, the men still have trouble with it. They're like, "Eh, really, Hmm. Peter has to go check it out for himself. In the Gospel of John, it says that John went with him. And John makes sure to let everyone know that he ran faster than Peter. You know, that whole male male ego thing. I was there first. I saw it first. Anyways, um, Peter goes home and he ponders these things. And right after this story, we have this really interesting bit. I'm not going to read it for sake of time. But we read about these two disciples on the road to Emus. And on the road, they're talking and pondering and trying to unpack what has just happened this their savior the their rabbi their teacher has just been crucified and they're trying to come to terms with it it says that this man appears with them it's just some random dude shows up and begins to unpack in the fullness of the scripture everything that has just happened And they don't recognize who the guy is until they get to the house where they're going to stay and they sit down to eat. And the man picks up the bread and breaks it and all of a sudden their eyes are open. They're like, it's Jesus. And as they realize it, he disappears. Boom. Weird, but okay. And in their excitement of the realization that they have just been walking and talking and communicating with Jesus, even though they weren't supposed to, it's night, it's dangerous. In their excitement, they lose all rationale and they run back to Jerusalem. They have to tell the disciples what has just happened. And we pick up the story in verse 35. They've just finished telling them what's going on. And we read this, and the two from Emos told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road, and how they recognized him as he was breaking the bread, and just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Fair response. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me, make sure that I am not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder and he asked them do you have anything here to eat they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched jesus shows up and reveals himself to the people to the disciples and says he just appeared one of the gospels said he walked through the wall okay if you're thinking he's a ghost walking through walls is not something that normal people do so you can imagine how freaked out they are, right? They, they just watched him die an excruciating death. And three days later, here he is, standing before them, breathing, interacting with them, just as he did before. No wonder they're having all these emotions. They're like, ah, oh, uh, ah. Like, I don't even know what to feel right now. Put yourself in the story, what, like, and imagine, like, okay, this is the one thing that kind of bothered me. He's sitting there, and he's like, do you guys have any food? They bring him a broiled fish. Not my first choice. Like, was the fridge empty, or you guys, like, why was broiled fish the thing, and not even, like, he got to enjoy it, because he's eating it as proof that he is not a ghost, and they're all like amazing you know somebody poked them right like just to make sure that he was someone's trying to see through the hole in his hand right like it's they're all in awe of what is happening before them the gospel of john tells us that thomas didn't believe so he came back and he touched the hands and he touched the hole in his side and it's really interesting that of all the things that Jesus endured, remember on, when we read the story, Jesus is beaten beyond recognition. The prophets tell us that it was a brutal thing that he went through. Isaiah tells us that his beard would have been ripped from his face. He would have not been recognizable. And yet the disciples are seeing him as if nothing had happened, save for holes in the hands, holes in the feet and hole in the side. One author said that the holes in Jesus' hands are the only man-made thing in heaven right now. Which I thought was quite quite a comment. The question is why? Why when he was so beaten so badly, why of all the things, why are the holes still there? And there's three reasons for it. Two reasons for it. Number one, it was for the sake of the disciples to know that he really was who he said he was. Right? Look, you saw it all happen. Look, there's the holes, they haven't gone away. I am the one who died on the cross for each and every one of you. Look, this is where the spear went in, underneath my ribs. Thomas touching, having to see because he, he had questions, he had doubts. But the other reason the holes didn't go away is to remind us that Jesus understands suffering and pain. Because life isn't easy. Life is full of pain. Life is full of trials and suffering and pressure and uncomfortableness. And the author of Hebrews tells us that we don't go to a God who's never experienced pain. We don't go to a God who, has, who can't relate to anything that we're going through. Jesus went through more pain and suffering than most of us can imagine. Right? Like, like, and, and I'm not undermining if you're going through a tough time. I'm not. I understand that things are tough at times. And I understand that it is a struggle but we don't come to Jesus and he's like, I don't understand what that's like. He had a crown of thorns inserted on his head. He had nails driven through. He understands pressure. He understands pain. And he can walk th- with us through the pain. One psychologist said that when it comes to our relationships, it's not, the rela- it's not the friendships that we only ever laugh with that are our deepest. It's the ones that we cry with. So, ones that we can really share in our pain, and it is through pain and it is through suffering that real connection happens. Well, we can have a real connection with Jesus because he understands how tough life can be. He understands every temptation that you can face. He understands the pain that we sometimes go through. It's not just that it's for us to see, it's how we identify and connect with him. And as we're remembering that he came back to life, as we're remembering, the question is, is there something that you're struggling with that you haven't gone to Jesus with? Is there something that you haven't run to the cross and said, Jesus, this is really tough. I really need you to step in. I really need you to walk with me through this. Because without you, it is too much. Continuing on, verse 44. Then he said, When i was with you before i told you that everything written about me in the law of moses and the prophets and in the psalms must be fulfilled then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said yes it was written long ago that the messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day it was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem, there is forgiveness for sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised, and stay here in the city till the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. So, this is Luke's version of the Great Commission. And there's a lot has happened in these five verses, and I, I, I want to slowly unpack it for you, because this is really what has been accomplished through Jesus' death and resurrection. This is why we need to be more excited about life. So there's four things, and as you know, if you're not a note-taker, this might be a good time to start, just throwing it out there. Number one, Jesus opens their minds to understand the Scripture. As you go through the Gospels, you like the disciples just don't get it, right? They're, the, the dots aren't connecting. They're sitting there, and they're always coming to Jesus. We sit here, and we look, and we're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. They miss it. It's not like they didn't know the Scriptures. As, as young Jewish men, they would have had to memorize the entire Old Testament. They knew the stuff, but it was all just... As it is, book knowledge, words on a page. Until the Spirit comes and opens it up to us, we never really truly understand what is being written here. And just as it was for them, it is for us. This is a spiritual book. It is the revealed word of a spiritual being. If you read it like you read a novel, or you read it like you read your study book, you're, you're, you're going to get some of it, but you're going to miss most of it. We've talked about it before, and I'll say it again. There's two layers to God's word. There's what's called the Logos revelation. And what the Logos revelation is, is that every single person who picks up God's word can see it for face value. It is the general revelation. And if you, ever, if you only ever go through life with general revelation, it's going to be good, but it could be so much better because the second layer is what is called the rhema word. And the Ramo word is God's revealed word for a specific time to a specific person for a specific scenario. In the same way that you you and I can have coffee and we have a conversation that is just for that moment, you can have a conversation with God and we go through the word and it comes to life in a way that. So, why you can read the Bible front to back. Every single year, you get to certain scriptures, and they say something different every single time. Right? If For those of you that mark up your Bible, like with notes and stuff, you're going through the second time, you get to the note, and you're like, what was I going through there? That is a weird note. Why did I highlight that? It's because th- this is a spiritual book, and the Spirit speaks to us, and it hits us differently. In the same way, Jesus opens their minds to really truly understand. The Spirit in us opens our minds to really truly understand what is going on here. Otherwise, it's just another book on the shelf. And that's exciting. That's good. Because I don't know about you, there's some passages in here that are a little confusing. And I'm glad that I have the Holy Spirit in me to shine new light on it. Jesus opens their minds to understand. Jesus gives them a message. And what was the message? The message was, there's forgiveness to sins for all who will repent. I'm going to go back to the verse, actually, because I want to show you something. Nope. Nope. There's forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Big one, number one, all. God will not withhold his forgiveness from anybody. Forgiveness is available to everyone and anyone who asks. But the 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 stipulation is, ah, I turned it off on myself. It's going so good. Stipulation is repent. It is not God who withholds his forgiveness. It is not God who withholds his his newness of life. It is not God who withholds this stuff from us. He wants to give it to everyone and anyone who comes to ask. The stipulation is is that we repent. And repentance is not just coming to God saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is, there it is, I made this mistake. I am turning away from it. I'm turning my back on it. I'm not going back to it. It is a 180 change of life that I recognize this is sin. I recognize that this is evil. I recognize that this is completely contrary to the life that you've called me to. And I, from now on, want nothing to do with it. It's not to say that you won't be tempted to go back to it. Because we serve a devious enemy that likes to tempt us and draw us. If it, if it wasn't tempting in the first place, it wouldn't have been a problem. But it's not just forgiveness, like, oh God, I'm sorry. Oh God, I'm sorry. Oh God, I'm sorry. How many of you have ever had this conversation with your kids that sorry isn't good enough if nothing changes? Same principle. It's not just saying sorry, something's got to change. Forgiveness is for all who repent. And this is the message. And Jesus said this all throughout. His message went from repent for the kingdom of heaven is near to repent because forgiveness is for all. It's here. The kingdom is here. You can be kingdom people now. And all it requires is you to turn from your sin, embrace God as your one and only, find your purpose in him, find your hope in him. Do away with it. Be done with it. I get back to where I was. Jesus commissions them to be witnesses. He doesn't go to them and say, I need you to brush up, read through your Bible, make sure you get everything memorized again, make sure you you understand the theology fully so that when people come and they want to pick a fight with you, you can argue it. He didn't tell them to go get law degrees. He didn't tell them to get ready for, for the arguments. He didn't tell... Imagine how much better church and life would be if we just stop arguing. What did he tell them to do? Be witnesses. What does a witness do? A witness just shares what they've seen or what they've experienced. You don't even have to be an expert. Just be witnesses. And this is why church should excite us. This is why Easter should excite us, because it's not just coming through the here's the problem, okay? The problem is, we've reduced church down to what it was in the Old Testament. Show up and get your instructions. It's not a new covenant, it's a new law. Tell me the do's and don'ts. Tell me what I need to avoid. Tell me what I should be doing with my life. Just, 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 and go through the motions, tell me the checklist so I just get on with my life. That's not what church is. That's not what Jesus died for. Jesus died for you to have a relationship with him and have a relationship with other believers and not to show up and argue about what the government's doing or what you, no. To show up and share. Hey, I had a really cool prayer time with God this week. God shared this with me. And you don't know. Maybe it's what, exactly what they needed to hear. Maybe it's a confirmation of what, they're, what the person you're sharing with is going through. You don't even come to hear me give you instructions. What you are coming is, I've had all this time in God's spirit. I've had so all this time with God talking to me, and I confirm it. I open God's word and say, this is what God has spoke to me this week, and what I'm hearing and what you're hearing is going to come into alignment and encourage you to keep going. Nothing in the New Testament was ever declared to be law. It was just letters of encouragement from a pastor to his church. And so what Jesus calls them to be is to be witnesses, witnesses of the good things that God is revealing through His word, witnesses of the good thing that God is revealing through our prayer time, because we have this close intimate relationship, and we can't help but to share it. I was reading an author the other day that said, our churches are dead because we've forgotten the whole point of Christianity. We don't even have, not, not, not that we're not excited about the relationship, we don't even have a relationship. We've reduced it to a religion again. Our relationship with Christ should excite us. It should drive us, it should fire us up. We should get here pumped because we're with a whole bunch of excited people. That should, that should bother us that we don't. Not guilt. I'm not putting guilt on you. I'm, I want the Spirit to speak to us. And that's the big one. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. When you declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you get in filled with the Holy Spirit. Though God's Spirit unites with our spirit, and we become empowered, we become excited, we have everything we need. We talk about being an equipping church. Guess what? God already gave you everything you need to be equipped. It's called the Holy Spirit. We just need to spend more time with Him. We just need to have ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to receive everything that God through His Spirit is putting in us. When we have our devotion time, we shouldn't run to God's Word first. We should run to His presence and be like, oh, Jesus, You're awesome. Teach me Your way. Teach me Your will. God, what have You got for me today? That we were to be so passionate, so excited about His Spirit that it wouldn't be a one-off moment of coming to him, but that we would allow him to guide our every step. That every moment we're coming to him being like, God, I'm so glad you're here with me. Help me in this. Even if I've got it, God, you're better, you're smarter than I am. God's Spirit dwells within you and you have the opportunity to come into that presence and let him speak to you and encourage you and equip you for everything that's coming your way. You should be the most energetic, obnoxious people on the planet. Luke closes with this. And Jesus led them to Bethany, and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem, filled with what? Great, great joy. Filled with what? Great joy. Thank you. That wasn't minion level. That was better than minion level. Okay. Okay. And they spent all their time in the temple praising God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You spent all their time praising the everything that Jesus has accomplished because of his death and resurrection, everything that has been put in us should inspire constant, continual, never-ending praise. Yeah, I worked it into the B series. Be witnesses. Be witnesses of the good things that Jesus is doing. Be witnesses of the good things that God is doing in your life. Be witnesses of how he has strengthened you in the hard times. Be witnesses of what his word is a revealing as it is living and active and continues to be awe-inspiring. Be witnesses of Jesus. I went overtime and Two-thirds of our worship team is missing, so uh, I invite you to bow your head, close your eyes. Father, whatever is going on, whatever is happening in our lives, Jesus, I pray that we would just get swept up with a heart of worship. Jesus, that we would... Get lost in your spirit as you have given us every gift and every everything we could ever need to live the life you've called us to live. We are fully equipped, not because of how much of God's word we know, not because of the experiences we have, but because your spirit dwells within us. God, give us a passion, give us a fire to spend time with you because, Jesus, you are alive, because your spirit dwells within us, and we want to change the world. We want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your will be done. And we want to share God, give us experiences, speak to us, so that we can share with the world the amazing things that you're saying and doing. Give us eyes to see, give us hearts to understand, give us ears to hear. Stir in us, God, the joy and the worship and the praise that we just read about. God, make us the most joyful Excited people in the world. That the world see us as, as you said on the Sermon on the Mount, that your light would shine, that the world would see it and want what we've got. Because no matter what comes our way, your Spirit gives us the joy and the peace and everything to overcome. Thank you, Jesus, for everything you accomplished on the cross and at the resurrection. We thank you that you have ascended, you are seated, and we can come to you with everything. Give you all our praise and thanks in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.